<laughs> Welcome to church. You know, something that we, uh, we often talk about what the church does in our community, uh, but we don't so often talk about why the church does it. Why we're not just a community service organisation. Why we're not just uh, a group of people that uh, maybe provide a food service or a school or a youth program. Why we're not just a group of people that, you know, help our neighbours and uh, have Christmas lunch in the park for those that don't have anywhere to go. Why do we come together as a church. And so this morning, I'm talking about why Cornerstone cares about church. And by that, I mean not the church, not us as the body of Christ, but why Cornerstone cares about gathering together on a Sunday morning and doing this thing that we call church. I come from a social work background I spent 10 years working in homelessness organisations and uh, working in secular um, community services before I took on pastoring full-time. I'm trained as a social worker. And so my natural tendency is to look at what needs there are, what things need to be done. And the easy thing for me to do would be to go and get a whole lot of government funding and go and start a program that does things, you know, with it would actually kind of sometimes be easier than doing this thing called church. <laughs> sometimes I wonder what God was thinking when he decided to call us to meet together as a body of people where we have to rely on one another, lift up one another, get alongside one another, even learn to get along with one another. But he does. See, something I've learned along the way, and if you've ever met a Christian that's not really hung around other people for a while, you know those people that kind of go off on a tangent, decide they can do it on their own? It gets a little weird. It's not a good space to be in. And the thing with that is we're not actually supposed to do this thing on our own. We're not supposed to, well, not even we're not supposed to, we can't. You can't become who God is calling you to be without this crazy thing called church. And so this morning, I am going to open up the Bible, as we usually do, and talk to you about why we press through the challenges, why we learn to get along, why we learn to forgive, why we pursue this crazy thing that is the family of God. Even after some of us have had bad experiences, some of us come from situations where it didn't work out so great, even when you've been a little bit burnt, why do we still do this thing called church? We're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to speak to you from a letter that Paul writes to a church that he literally describes as believers under fire. So if ever there was a letter relevant to a church that was maybe facing some tough situations, this is one. I'm going to read you from verse 1 through to 16. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not have 
You do not need to have anything written to you. I'm going to go back to what he's talking about in a bit. But for now, we're going to read on. For you yourselves know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them. And as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that when, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. I started off and I, was, I wondered whether to start at the point of this verse uh, that I did, at verse 1. I could have jumped right in about in, into the instructions but I wouldn't be able then to give you the context. And what's going on here is if you open up uh, your Bibles and not look at it on the screen, you'll read that the chapter before, it starts to explain some of the things that they had questions about, some of the things they were discussing, even disagreeing on. Paul gives them a little bit of a, uh, a description of what their hope is to come. In the resurrection, James spoke about it a little bit just before, that hope of the new heaven and new earth. And so he explains that they have a hope to look forward to, but then he says, I don't need to write any more about that. What he's saying is that isn't the issue that is at stake here. What needs to be spoken about is how they treat each other. And how they are to treat each other, he goes on to describe. He goes on to describe the purpose of what we do here this morning. He goes on to describe why we have to get alongside each other, why we have to come together, to encourage one another, to lift up each other. Some of the words used in the instructions a little bit later, some old school words like idlers. What is an idler? Someone who's not doing anything. Someone who's stuck. We're all that person sometimes. You ever got stuck in your life somewhere? The faint-hearted. Ever felt faint-hearted in your life along the way? Lift up the weak. 
You ever felt weak in a situation? See, this isn't an instruction for those of you who are great in the faith to lift up those who are, you know, those poor weak ones. This is an instruction to get alongside each other. In the days when you fit that list, there should be someone alongside you to lift you up, to pick you up and carry you through. When you fit that list, there should be someone alongside to say, hey, come on, let's keep going. I'm alongside you. And when you don't fit in that list, maybe you feel like you don't even need to come to church when you don't fit that list. That's the day you need to come and get alongside someone because you don't know that someone on your row right now could be in that list and could need the words that you have, the gifts that you bring, the things that you have on your life that you can encourage them and lift them up and carry them through. And that's why we come together. So there are three reasons out of this verse. as to why we need to gather together, why Cornerstone cares about church, why we do this thing the way that we do. We don't just have a club meeting and then go out and do good in the world. But why we come and we do it the way that we do. We lift the name of Jesus. We worship together. We pray together. We come around the table together in a way that leads each of us to encounter Jesus in a real way. Number one is because our hope is in the promise of God. Because all of us need hope. Every single one of us here needs to know that God has a plan, that God has us in his hand that he loved us and created us and brought us here for a reason. Every one of us needs hope. I told you I spent 10 years working in community services. One of the hardest things about that job wasn't cleaning up the mess or dealing with the um, you know, violent outbursts or, or admitting kids at three o'clock in the morning that had been kicked out of home and parents ran. None of that. The hardest thing was to sit across the table from a young person with incredible potential and ability and all the future holds for someone who's all of 14, 15, 16 years old and to see them have no desire to even live another day because they have no hope. We all need a hope and our hope is in that which God has promised. The hope that's in the resurrection, the new life that is found in him. You can jump to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us hold 
to the hope that is in him. Here Paul gets more direct and says, let us hold to the hope not neglecting to meet together, knowing that there would be days when I wouldn't feel like getting up and doing it, but you might. Knowing that there would be days when you've forgotten the things that God has done for you in the past, but someone could remind you of the day that you shared your testimony with them. Knowing that there'd be days when you don't know what the answer is or how you're going to walk through another day, but someone will get up here and share the power of the testimony on their life. And you'd be able to see that God can work in a situation just like yours. So we are overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And what is a testimony? It's not for us, but for others. So when we come together, we encourage each other just by living the truth of what God has done in our lives. So you share the hope that you have. Or maybe you come this morning just to find out that there is a hope. But that's okay. Because one day you'll be able to share the hope that you have. There was a time in my life when I walked into a church with no hope for a future or a way out and someone shared with me the love of Jesus. There was a time someone shared that with you. Maybe that's why you're sitting here this morning. So we come together to share the hope that we have. Number two is because our kingdom witness counts. By this they know that you are my disciples, Jesus said. We come together to demonstrate who Jesus is in the world, not just by how we love individually, but how we can come together united, so different from backgrounds all over the place with different views and opinions, with different backgrounds and, uh, and ethnicities, with different ages and different places in life and jobs and roles and all the things that make us different. But the thing that makes us the same is knowing who Jesus is and being able to share that with the world around us as a collective bears witness to the power of God in our life and you only need to come to church for about a week to realise it takes the power of God to do that. <laughs> I don't even need to ask for a response here this morning. This is great. The world needs to see that we don't just know how to preach it, but we know how to practice it. The world needs to see that we don't just know how to market it, but we know how to live like it's real to us. And so we come together to be equipped, to be empowered, to be encouraged to do the things that God is calling us to do. Sometimes that means working alongside one another in partnership in the things that the church is doing. Sometimes that means just lifting up what your neighbour is doing in their job or in their role and encouraging them, giving them the strength to do it another day. But we need a love, not just... God, but our church, 
in a way that invites others in. When you go out, you bear witness to what God is doing in your life. And if you go out testifying to what he has done through his people, you invite others into a space where they can encounter God. See, for some people, they need something to connect to. Understanding God has become such an abstract idea in our society that sometimes it takes encountering his people that give form and shape to who he is and what he's calling them to before people can decide to follow. And so when we invite people into a space like this, that reveal who he is and who he's forming us to be. We make space for God to get real with others. When you go out and you talk about the things that your church is doing in the name of Jesus, giving him the glory because it's only him that empowers us to do it and it's only because of what he's done in our lives that we're able to do it in the first place, but when you go out into those spaces talking about the good things that God is doing, and I can promise you, it doesn't matter how crazy things have got or how hard things have been, God is doing great things here because there are people here who are gathered who love God. So when we talk about those things, people are drawn in to see what he's doing. When you tell stories about the students here that have not only encountered Jesus, some of them finding faith, but when you tell about how many are graduating at the end of this year, or those that go on to get jobs, or those that have got free from addictions, or those that are finding supports and a place to belong where they never have before. You're giving glory to God. When you tell stories about the things that God is doing, you invite people in. The church exists for the world. We understand that well, that we as the church collectively exist for those outside the church. The reason we do our Sunday services the way that we do is because this place exists for equipping us as a group to go out into the world and be his hands and feet. We should always make space for others here. This should always be a space where anyone can come in, anyone can be welcome, anyone can be invited to participate and belong. And that's why we do things like the call to the table that explains to anyone who comes in that they can participate and they can be part of what's happening. But do we make Sunday morning all about those that don't yet believe or all about and outreach, no, because this is a space to equip, to gather and celebrate what God is doing, to partner together, to work together, 
to worship together, be united. We do that so that we can go out. Then the rest of the week is about being the church. So some have questioned why we might do communion every week. Why we might share a benediction every week. You know, these things look a little bit strange to someone coming in from outside. I came into church about, not this church, but another about maybe 16, 18 years ago. In the height of the seeker-sensitive movement, you know, church became, it was going from a place where people would come and pray and all all of that sort of thing, but there was this massive movement in churches to be seeker-friendly. And I love that churches began to understand the need to open the doors, and I believe that was a move of God. The churches began to understand that we need to invite people in. But I think sometimes in trying to make our space friendly for those who we have uh, you know, yet to invite in or those who might wander in on a Sunday morning, we neglect to actually seek the things of God in this space, to pray, to allow God to minister to us in worship in ways that change us at a level that we can't do on our own or in our own strength. So many of the encouragements Paul writes to his churches tell them to encourage one another to that they speak about the uh, empowerment of the body working together using the gifts uh, um, being equipped with those things and this is where we do that so yes we want to invite friends yes we want to invite others in yes this should always be a space that's open to others but yes we want to see the power of God in this place because nothing else can change us and form us and shape us in a way that we can go out and be the church that he's calling us to be in the gospels you see the disciples called and instructed by Jesus to wait to gather together to pray until he returns. And in Acts, just as the disciples are gathering together just before the day of Pentecost, they're gathered together. And we find Jesus comes and meets with them after he's resurrected. And they're all there except one. Does anyone know who's not there? He's known as the doubter or doubting Thomas. And I don't know what comes first, whether his church skipping comes first or his doubting comes first, who knows. But he's not there. And when Jesus comes and meets with them, he's not present. But you know what the disciples immediately go and do? They go and find him. It says he wasn't among them. Jesus speaks to them, asks them where he is. And then it says, and then they went and said 
to Thomas. It's almost as if he was in the room. Like they must have gone like, I don't know, it's like one of those skips over the details stories. But they go and they speak to Thomas. And then Thomas, this is eight days later, and Thomas encounters Jesus. So if they've gone out from church on the Sunday, and if you understand how uh, in the Bible or how Hebrew uh, like dating or calendar systems work, they always count the day that you're on. That's why Jesus was raised on the third day, uh, because he uh, was raised on a Sunday, died on a Friday, and everyone's like, did we get the days wrong? Is it supposed to be Monday? It's not, because they count Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days. Same here, eight days, Sunday, they go out. This is the first day of the week. They go out, they go and find Thomas and they speak to him and then it says eight days later he speaks to Jesus and encounters and that's where he says, uh, I, won't, uh, I won't believe until I can see and put my hands in the scars in your hands. Eight days later they gather together again and he encounters Jesus. But it was the disciples that went out and said to him, you know, it's not the pastor's job to ring every person who's not here this morning, to ring the person that, you know, you might have invited to church six months ago and then they've never been back since. Yes, we can do that and yes, we should do that. But that job belongs to the church. That person that's not sitting next to you right now, that should be, who could you go out and call in? Who could you go out and encourage, lift up? Who could you go out who is the idler, you know, the faint-hearted, the weak right now? Maybe it's even someone that did that for you once. I know that's been my story, that there are people who led me in my early walk that now aren't walking with the Lord. And I know that I'm finding myself in a place of reaching out to them and praying for them and opening doors for them to come back into a space of being able to encounter Jesus. There will be times in your life that you need it and then times in your life that you're needed. I'm going to ask the band to come back and join me. See, maybe doubting Thomas was doubting Thomas because he didn't get the message. Because he hadn't encountered Jesus that first day. Maybe some of you... We're a little surprised by what I did on Monday. Maybe that might have been seen differently if you'd been here Sunday and heard the message. And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the message from Sunday. Some, maybe sometimes you've been in a place where you feel like you're not quite caught up to where everything is going and what everyone is doing. But did you miss a couple of weeks and not catch up or meet with anyone to find out? 
And it happens. We all have things go on in life. It's not about getting religious about it. It's about having the desire to, to be a part of what's happening, to be here, to be connected, to do all you can to get caught up if you miss out. See, God is calling us as a church forward into something. God is calling us as a church to be his hands and feet in the community. And that doesn't just mean those of us who work here or those of us who preach here or those of us who stand up on stage, but that means all of us. And if God is calling you into that space, then that requires of you to be a part of that journey. That requires of you to be willing to be the encourager on days when you don't need it. Requires of you to turn up and be encouraged when you feel like giving up. Because of the hope that we have. Maybe I have this crazy conviction about being in church because I know what it's like to do a good chunk of my life without ever having known what good can come of it. See, I know what it's like to walk without hope. I also know what it's like to walk without community, without family that can get alongside and encourage and stir you up, love you when you need it, draw out of you your gifts and abilities when they're needed. So I'm willing to give my all for church, for the church, for what we do here, for what we do in the world. Because I know how much difference it can make in one life. And something I want to do is have more people sharing over the course of the next few months how God has shaped and changed them. Power of our testimony. What God can do in one life through his people. To give us faith to believe what God can do in the lives of those that we meet outside of these four walls. See, seeing this hope realised means living the life that God has called us to. It means living the conviction that God has placed on each of our lives, no matter what the cost, no matter what that looks like. Even when sometimes that doesn't look compatible with building a big church, being faithful to what God is calling each one of us to do. Pursuing his will for us is where we need to go.
See, some of you, if you have been around a little while, know that we have had a bit of a tough season in this church of recent months. And I know that something that God is calling me to do as a leader, but just as a person who is part of this church, is to lay down my need to be right, lay down my need to win or to achieve or any of those things that come naturally to me and be true to what God is calling us to do. And that just looks like loving people the way that Jesus first loved us. That means responding to people, even those that hurt us, even those you know, that we get frustrated with or whatever that looks like. Living true to what God is putting on our hearts. Living that conviction. For some of us, that's going to look different. What, it, what is it that God is calling you to do? Maybe you've struggled with the conviction of being part or committed to something. Maybe you love the church and have just struggled with the people or have been hurt by the people. Maybe, maybe you aren't struggling with any of those things, but you know someone that is. I believe that part of what we're talking about today is so that we have a way to answer for the conviction that we have. Is there are people in my life, and I'm sure in yours, that will tell you that it's not important to go to church. You can be spiritual without being religious and all of the above. There are people that will tell you that you don't need to be part of a fellowship to be part of the church. But that's not the instructions that we were given by Jesus. That's not the way that the early church operated. My conviction is that part of our growth and maturity in God is to learn to work through those things. And part of ours will be to answer to those things as people challenge that in you. And so this morning, I'm not going to ask for people to come forward, but I am going to ask you just to close your eyes and consider for a moment. We've been singing this song, I'll Stand. arms wide and heart abandoned speaks of surrender see this thing called church it takes surrender not only to the work of God in our lives but surrender to the possibility of others not meeting our expectations surrender to the potential for others not to treat us right surrender to the potential for others not to come through but also surrender for others to be there when we need it surrender to the potential that someone could actually be what you need in a situation that God could love through 
people around you, that you could actually rely on other individuals alongside you. And for some of that, us, that's the hardest thing to do. But the call that goes out this morning is, will you surrender? To live for him and to love his church the way he does. That doesn't just mean this fellowship, it means the entirety of the body. But what that looks like is loving this church that God has called you to be in, if he's placed you here, then that looks like loving the people that are next to you right now. So as we begin to sing a song, would you consider whether God is calling you to take a stand this morning, to love his church, to love this church, to love those alongside you. To do this thing well so that we can love others well.